So I can hit a ball pretty hard. Fat guys, we're pretty good at that. Um, I can smack a ball. Uh, I have only actually, though, hit a home run in like an organized game a couple of times. And let me tell you, it is an amazing feeling to hit a home run. Some of you are like, yeah, I did that like every game. Well, good for you. Why don't you brag about it? Um, it's hard to explain if you've never played a team sport, but it is really fun. Uh, team sports in general can be really fun. Uh, but sports, they take a couple of things. They take a couple of things. A bunch of people have to show up and you have to have teams. Now, that seems pretty obvious. This is, this is the best stuff you're getting to say. This is the deep stuff. You gotta have teams and you gotta show up, right? May seem pretty obvious, but that's what it takes to have a game where you can accomplish something, right? Uh, if for some reason people don't show up for the game, there is no game. There is no game. Sometimes in like, especially like recreational league ball, people will not show up and you won't have enough people you have to forfeit because Brian had his anniversary and so we had to forfeit the game. It's not a th I'm not still concerned about it. No, I'm not, there's no Brian. I just made that up. Uh, but that happens, right? And if you don't show up, you don't have a game. No home runs, playing football, no touchdowns. You, in a team sport, you got to have the team. They got to show up. You got you to be there to be there. And if you ain't there, you don't care, as Dr. David Robinson says a lot. Uh, the team is where you get together. The team is where you build a community. The team is where you laugh and play and work together. That's what the team is about. One thing that's important for you to understand is that following Jesus is a team sport. It's a team sport. It's not an individual activity. There is a portion that's individual. Obviously, you have your own relationship with the Lord. You're growing in that, just like the guy on the team is going and working out and working on his or her game, doing that kind of a thing. But when you show up for the team, that's what it's all about. That's what you're doing. Many times we've mentioned the shield wall, right? A group of people, a group of soldiers who fight together, right? They're in a line. And behind that line, they're stacked up so that as this person's fighting and this person gets tired, he or she can go to the back of the line and the next person steps up and takes their place so that we're, we're working together. It was an extremely effective way of battling. In fact, Rome pretty much took over the world using that. And we talk about the full armor of God, but we also talk about the soldier that's alone is dead. And so you have to have the team. You got to have the shield wall, but not everyone gets it. Not everyone likes it because teams have coaches and they have expectations and they cause us to have to work together with people and be submissive, submissive and have forbearance and have patience and all that kind of thing. Those things can be difficult. So some people play golf right? Because there's no team, right? You're by yourself. Uh, you just avoid the team thing altogether. Now, we've been working through a study for the last several weeks, looking at the results of a recent survey that was done by Ligonier Ministries, where they surveyed Americans, the United States. Whenever I say Americans, I feel bad because, you know, we go to Honduras, and if you say Americans talking about people in the United States, they get offended. Sorry if you're watching Honduras. You're Americans too, Central Americans. Um, people in the United States, okay, they surveyed these people about all kinds of things that have to do with what they believe about God, what they believe about morality, what they believe about the Bible, and so on. And the results of that survey were interesting, to say the least, uh, because they studied not just everybody, but then they broke that down into categories. And so we're going to look at that again today. 
They've actually been doing this at least since 2014, every two years, just to check how things are going. If you're wondering, generally speaking, not good. Uh, things aren't necessarily going well. Uh, what we have found is that we, as the church, need to be diligent about teaching and learning the foundations of Christianity, the foundations of the Bible. Because from what we can tell from this survey and others that have gone on, uh, we're not great at it. So this week, Lord willing, we're going to be looking at the views people have toward the local expression of the body of Christ, the church. What are the views that people have towards that? Are they biblical? In past weeks, we talked about how this survey works, so I'm just going to go over it really quick. A statement would be given. There's just a bunch of statements that were given, and then people had five options. Strongly agree, uh, somewhat agree, not sure, somewhat disagree, strongly disagree. In the case of the statements today and the ones that we've gone through uh, in other weeks, there's only one biblical response, and it's either strongly agree or strongly disagree, because the Bible speaks very clearly on these things. I've talked about you can't somewhat agree. You, sh you should not be not sure, and of course, if you're on the other side, you're really wrong. But there's only one right answer to these questions. If you understand the Bible, if you've been taught well and you believe it, there's only one right answer. And that's the case today for these questions. So that's the only thing I'm going to show you, because I'm going to show you some survey results. You're only going to see the right answer, those who got the right answer. So let's get into the survey. The first statement for today. Every Christian has an obligation to join a local church. That's the statement, okay? The answer ought to be strongly agree. We'll get into what the Bible says, just in case you don't agree, and you would be like a lot of other people. Uh, we'll get into what the Bible says, but trust me, biblically, the answer is strongly agree. So we're going to start with all those surveyed. This is Christians, unbelievers, everyone. How many of them answered biblically? Let's see the results. There they are. There they are. 40%. 40%, two out of five people in the U.S., strongly agree that Christians are obligated to join a local church. It's not good but we're dealing with the whole world, right? So what do you expect from them, right? Everyone in the United States. I'm not surprised that only 40% of them would think that, although it seems really, really obvious to me uh, from the scripture, but we'll get into that. But let's look at a different group of, of folks. These people were called evangelicals by the survey, and this is what it meant. Evangelicals were defined by LifeWay Research as people who strongly agreed with the following four statements. The Bible is the highest authority for what I believe. That's important for how you answer all these questions. Number two, it is very important for me personally to encourage non-Christians to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. Three, Jesus Christ's death on the cross is the only sacrifice that could remove the penalty of my sin. Four, only those who trust in Jesus Christ alone as their Savior receive God's free gift of eternal salvation. So good, like they, they believe the right things on those. Respondents can also be identified as evangelical in the State of Theology Data Explorer based on their supplied church affiliation. So there's also those who said, I go to uh, this church that we know to believe those things. And so those people would also be there. So evangelicals, they believe a number of correct things biblically. Uh, and this is what they got. 49%. So they did 9% better than the world. Uh, basically half of evangelicals who believe that stuff did not strongly agree that Christians have an obligation to join a local church. There's another group that we're going to look at, though. Hopefully this will save us. This is evangelicals who also attend church once a week. So you'd think they've joined a local church, so you'd think they'll be good on this, right? You know what's going to happen, right? You know what's going to happen. 
This group is getting teaching regularly from the word. We hope they're going to evangelical churches, which means churches that believe those things. Let's see how they did. Worse. Worse than evangelicals in general. Slightly worse. <sighs> Clearly, a lot of Christians do not strongly agree that we're obligated to join a local church. Not great, but we're going to go into the second statement before we get any further. This is, this is an interesting one, too. This is what it says. Worshiping alone or with one's family is a valid replacement for regularly attending church. Okay? So, and this is important. Listen, make sure you understand the statement. I always try to tell my clients, for those of you who don't know, I'm an attorney, recovering um, <laughs> attorney. I always try to tell my clients when they're in a deposition or in court, make sure you understand the question that's been asked. People get nervous and they start just answering what they think they heard. Make sure you understand the question that's being asked or else problems can arise. This statement does not say staying home occasionally because someone is ill or when I'm on vacation, I might worship alone or with my family. That's not what it says. It says that these things are a valid replacement for regularly attending church. Instead of regularly attending church, you hang out by yourself or maybe with your family at home and worship. Mm. Uh, the biblically correct answer here is strongly disagree strongly disagree. The Bible strongly disagrees with this statement, and Christ's followers should strongly disagree with this statement. All right, let's start with all people surveyed in the United States. How many of them thought it's cool? We're up 10, 10%. 10%. Okay. There's unbelievers in there, right? Unbelievers, they don't know, they don't understand, although even unbelievers should think yeah, if you're part of, if you're a Christian, you probably should be part of a church and going to the church together. Like that's, I don't know, 2,000 years of what we've been doing, but 10%, fine. Um, all right, evangelicals. 23%. 23% answered this right. <sighs> these are people who said, 99% of these people said, the Bible is the highest authority for what I believe. Now we're going to see that the scripture is very clear about this. 99% of them said the Bible is the highest authority for what they believe, and only 23% strongly agreed that you needed to be, in, or strongly disagreed with the statement that you could just substitute doing your own thing for regular church attendance. Not good. Not good. All right, let's look at the last group. These people go to church every week, so obviously they're going to be 100%. So let's look at that. Oh, no. 29%. Less than a third. These people go to church every week, and they believe the Bible. Ah, uh, not good. What does the Bible say about it? Let's get into it. Let's get into it. Uh, the word church in the Bible, the Greek word for that is ekklesia or ekklesia. I don't know. It's all Greek to me. Um, and according to the Ligonier Ministries website who did this sur survey, it says those who are the called out ones. That's how they define it. And that's pretty close to what I see most people define it as. Uh, in the outline of biblical usage, I want to read through some of the you know, definitions of how this word is used in the scripture. A gathering of citizens called out from their homes into some public place, an assembly. That's just kind of the general Greek. In a Christian sense, an assembly of Christians gathered for worship in a religious meeting. A company of Christian or those who, hoping for eternal salvation through Jesus Christ, that's Christians, observe their own religious rites, hold their own religious meetings, and manage their own affairs according to regulations prescribed for the body for order's sake. Next one. Those who anywhere in a city, village, constitute such a company, 
of Christians and are united into one body. And then the last two are the whole body of Christians scattered throughout the earth, so just the church in general, the universal church, and then the assembly of faithful Christians already dead and received into heaven. We would also call them, in some cases, the church. This is what it means to be the church. It's to be called out. It's to be called out. As Christ followers, first, we're called out of darkness into his marvelous light, right? 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's you. If you're a Christ follower, the great news is you were in darkness and now you're in light. You were called out. But you're also called out to be together. You're called out to be together. We are called out of his out of the world to be his body, Christ's body, to be together. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. That's what the church is. Each one of you, you can read the whole chapter, okay? 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, they go through a whole thing on this. But you, each of you, is called to be together and do your part in the church. That's the whole thing. That's what we do. It's what we do. How do I know? that when it says that we are the body of Christ and members individually, that they're talking about the church. Well, I just have to read the next verse, okay? 1 Corinthians 12, 27 and 28. I'm just going to read them together. Now, you are the body of Christ and members individually, and God has appointed these in the church. So what are we talking about? The church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. These are all different things that people do in the church, so how do I know that you can't do it on your own? Because there is no context in Scripture that talks about the solo Christian. It's just not there. It's nowhere there. All these people that it mentions there, helps, administrations, those aren't all available in your home. You can't solo do all of those things. These things are listed here because it's clear that the entire New Testament assumes a local church. It assumes a local church. We have letters written to local churches. And then we have letters written to individuals about how to administrate the local church. We don't have anybody like to Steve who's worshiping outside in his garden on Sunday, right? That's not there. You won't find that letter in the scripture. Why? Because it wouldn't even be thought of. That's not a thing. That's not how Christians act. You don't find any golfer Christians. I wonder if that's why so many people golf on Sundays. Is there a correlation? I think so. I think so. You won't find solo Christians as a thing in the scripture, certainly not as a thing that you're supposed to be like. It's just not the way it is. The Bible is clear on this point. We're going to look at some scriptures to help us see the point. The church began its explosive growth after Christ rose from the dead, died, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, said to wait, and then on the day of Pentecost, the church grows, it explodes, right? Here's how the whole thing started. Acts 2.1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. So it started with these people together, praying, doing the thing, doing what we do, right? They were together on that day. They were even in one car, one accord, it says right there. My dad's not here, so... I had to give you the dad joke because Pastor Dave is in Hawaii. Bless him. Bless his heart. Then Peter preaches to the people. 
the whole Acts 2 thing that you guys can go back and read. But in Acts 2.40, we see this. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. It's the same thing that we exhort here. Be saved from this perverse generation. It's a mess. It's a mess. Acts 2.41. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls went and worshiped on their own. No, were added to them. Were added to them. Okay? They did not get saved and then go, that was great. I got it from here. I can do my own thing. Just me and my, my family over here doing it. That's not what happened. They were added to them. 3,000. That kind of does away with the whole thing about all megachurches being bad. This was, the first church was a megachurch. Big old church. New believers, Christ followers, newly called out ones, and they were added to those who had already been called out. That's how it works. Then we read what they did. And this is prescriptive. Okay, This is telling us how the church operates. Not everything there is all prescriptive in the book of Acts. If you want to find out about that, I did a whole series on it. It took me, I don't know, three years, um, but we got through it. You can go back and look at all that, but this is prescriptive, okay? Because how do we know? Because through 2,000 years of Christ's church, this has been how believers have operated. Here we go, Acts 2.42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Okay, that's the teaching. That's the teaching. And fellowship, that's what you all did for two minutes while that clock was going on, okay? That's what we do at life groups. That's what we do as a church. Fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. This is what they did. This is what the church looked like. You can't do that by yourself. Me and the Holy Spirit. I just need the Holy Spirit. I can do it by myself. You cannot. You cannot. And the Bible is very clear about that. They did not go out on their own. They continued steadfastly in the teaching, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. And we know they did it together. How do I know? Well, verse 46, Acts 2, 46. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. What do they do? Daily in the temple and house to house. What do we do? We come here on Sunday morning, we worship together, and then we have life groups during the week, house to house. It's the way that we've been doing it for 2,000 years. It's the reason we do it that way. We didn't just go... Yeah, sounds good. By the way, as we're reading the scripture here, there are Bibles in front of you. If you don't have a Bible at home, please take one of those home with you. That's our gift to you. Three easy payments of $19.99. No. No payments. That's for you. Even back then, even 2,000 years ago, there were people who started this sort of thing that we just saw with this survey, where they started to say, I can probably do this on my own. I can probably do this on my own. It's not new. It's not particularly a Western or an American thing. It's been going on for a long time where there were some who did that. And the scripture addresses it. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. As is the manner of some. Some people were doing this, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. How are we going to consider one another in order to stir up love and good works if we aren't assembling ourselves together? How are you going to do that if you're on your own? You're not because it's assumed. It's assumed that you are part of an assembly part of the called out ones, part of the church. And the word day there is capitalized. It's the day of the Lord. 
let me just be clear with you. The day of the Lord is approaching, okay? We're a couple thousand years basically closer to it than when that was written. So much more do we need one another as the day approaches. The church needs you and you need the church. We have gotten into this idea that we come to church as a passive person. We come and we sit and we receive, we, we sing together, we sort of receive the message, we go. But that's not the church. The church is active. You're here, you're here for everyone else. You're here for what we do together. We are a body, we are a team. If people don't show up, we can't take the field. It's just the way it is. We are a team. Some people don't like that. Obviously, when you've gotten to the point where only 29% of people who even go to church every week are saying that you actually need to do that, are saying that they strongly agree that you need to do that. People don't like oversight, accountability. I get it. I don't either. Um, it's not fun all the time. But I do at the same time because it's what grows us. You even need the oversight that elders give. We see that continuously in the scripture. Elders were being set up in every church. We don't like it because we don't like the idea of sort of being told what to do. We don't like the idea that somebody is in authority over us. I've been under the spiritual authority of elders for years. For years. I'm under the spiritual authority of elders to this day. I actually had to be exhorted and encouraged by an elder yesterday. So it's part of what we do. Right? It's part of what we do. We need it. That's why we have a plurality or a group of elders. Because if there's just one, who's got the authority over that person? Right? This is, this is important. Acts 20, 28. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock. This is, this is talking to the elders of the church there. Among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. It's a very significant thing to be called into that kind of ministry. It's not about, hey, I'm an elder. It's not that at all. It's a very significant thing. You are the church that Christ has purchased with his own blood. We take it very seriously, those of us who are elders here at this church. And you need us to take it seriously. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey those who rule over you. Obey. You don't even hear that in the marriage vows anymore, right? Love and obey. Good luck with that right? Obey those who rule over you and be submissive. Like these are like two bad words right away in our culture. Obey and be submissive. Mm, I don't think so. I don't think so. But this is what the scripture says. I'm just reading it, people. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief for that would be unprofitable for you. This is one of those areas where I see people struggle. I've seen people struggle, but I can tell you, having been someone who has been and currently is under the spiritual authority of elders who love me and care for my soul, it is life-giving. It's important. You need the leadership of the church. Jesus has set up his church to be a place of growth and submission to one another. It's how we grow. It may be difficult, but it's what's best for all of us. The idea is that we can worship by ourselves or that we don't need to join a church, they're just outright unbiblical. Unbiblical. I want to give you three L's. I don't usually do this. This may be the first time I've ever done something like this. I'm like, hey, three L's, the thing that, you know, I just, that's not my thing, as you well know. But I've, I came up with three L's and I'm going to give you three L's, all right? 
These are the three L's why I think a lot of people are thinking unbiblically, which is why we get these results in the survey, unbiblically about the church and about their connection to the church. The first one is laziness. I'm not lazy. Just relax. We'll get there in a second. The second one is letdown. And the third one is liberalism. And you guys are like, oh yeah, it's the Democrats. No, not that. That's not what I'm talking about. It's like three or four of your eyes are like, yeah, let's get, let's get political. We're not doing that. Listen, laziness, easy. It's an easy one, right? We have all experienced laziness. A couple of you are like, never been lazy. Good for you. Congratulations. Why don't you brag about it? I know I have been lazy many times, okay? Many, many times. Sometimes just getting out of the house can be a chore, especially if you have a lot of kids, right? Kids out of the house, it's, it's tough. It's easier to stay at home than to go to church. Easier, for sure. In that moment, it is easier to stay at home than go to church. Many times in my Christian life, I have made the choice to stay at home because I was being lazy. The interesting thing is that any time that I pushed past it, or my wife pushed me past it, it's probably a better way to put that, I always was blessed. Especially those times where I didn't want to go. It's like, oh, I'm so glad I went. I'm so glad I went. Proverbs 14.4. The soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. Now, this is about being lazy in our work, generally speaking, right? You got to work hard. You got to do the thing. That's how you are successful. But I think the principle applies here too. If you are desiring something and not getting it, it's probably because you're being lazy in, the, in this sense. If you are worshiping by yourself and not going to church and whatever, and you're wondering, my life doesn't feel great. Well, you're not rich in the things of the church. You're not rich in the love and the affection and the care and the teaching and the encouragement, the fellowship and worship, because you're on your own. And some people have to because they, you know, people, we have some older people who cannot be here. That's why we have the online thing. The online thing is not for you to sit on your couch and drink coffee and not be here. I'm looking at the camera, this one right here. If you're sitting there having coffee, be here next week, okay? All right. That's not what it's for. That's not what it's for. There's always, always an excuse. Always an excuse. This is what Proverbs 26, I'm going to read 13 through 16, start with 13. The lazy man says, there's a lion in the road. A fierce lion is in the streets. I don't want to go outside. Something, something bad's going to happen out there, right? We're like a lion. Like, we don't have lions around here. True. But in this context, they did. The idea was, hey, there's something out there. It's too, it's too difficult. There's going to be a problem, right? There's always an excuse. Always an excuse. Get to church. It's your calling. There's no excuse. As a door turns on its hinges, so does the lazy man on his bed. Been there. Turn on my bed. I've been there. Listen, this is the one that gets me. Like, when you're sleeping and it's just good, and then you wake up and it's like, I got to be somewhere, but you don't have to be there. Sometimes it's nice to just get the cool side of the pillow, go back to sleep. I know how that is. I know how that is. Guess what? Don't do it. Don't do it. I'm called to get up and go to church and honor God and to honor all of you. When you come to church, you're honoring God and you're honoring everybody else because they want to see you because they want to worship with you, because it's better when all our voices are together. It's better when we study the word together. All of that is better together. We want you here. It's always been the way it is. All right, 
couple more verses. The lazy man buries his hand in the bowl. It wearies him to bring it back to his mouth. Never been a problem for me. That's not one that I struggle with at all. So it's, it's the burying my hand in my bowl too much. That's the problem that I have. The lazy man is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. Here's the thing. Laziness always has the excuse that seems wise to you. It seems wise to you. You feel like it's a good excuse. It's not. Give it up and start answering sensibly. I should have been there and I was lazy. No problem. Confess, repent, move on, get yourself to church. I, I don't have anything else to say about laziness. This one's pretty easy, okay? And I've, I've done this before, so I know this one. Um, and I know that some of you out there, some who will listen to this later because you were too lazy to come this morning, <laughs> will hear this and be convicted and good. Be convicted, come to church. All right. Here's the, here's the last thing I want to say about it, though. You don't want to answer the Lord at the Bama seat when he's looking to give you rewards and he's looking at your life and, it's, and what you can see is you've been lazy a bunch and not been part of his church and then you answer him with excuses. I don't think that's going to go very far. I think you'll just, right? You don't want that. Don't have this be wood, hay, and stubble for you. The laziness in your life. All right, the next one is let down. This is way more complicated. Let down is complicated. There are a lot of people who have had difficult experiences in local churches that are harmful. There are people who have been hurt. And I want to be sensitive here to that because there are people who have been really hurt. There are churches where the leaders have been wolves and have devoured the people. Probably if you've been in church your whole life, you've probably at least seen, if not experienced, some of this. And my heart goes out to you if that's the case. The problem with the church has always been that it's full of people. You know, that's the problem. Because there are people, and we live in a fallen world, there are always going to be conflicts and difficulties, and people are going to sin against you. It's going to happen. I have two pieces of encouragement and exhortation for you. If you are in a church, and this is because more people watch this than just us, um, and so you're in a church right now, but if you are in a church where the leaders are living unbiblically, or teaching unbiblically, or unbiblically harming you or other people, leave. Leave that church. You don't need to stay in that church. First, let them know what they're doing. And if they don't repent, leave. There is no reason to stay in a church that clearly is not operating as one of Christ's churches. Right? Now, I'm not saying leave immediately. I'm saying let them know and see if you get some repentance. Because we do need to hold each other accountable. That's part of the church. Then after you leave, find a church where the leaders are trying to follow Jesus Christ and the word of God. There will always be the wolves, guys. Watch out for them. Call them out and leave if they don't turn from their sin. But there are local church bodies all over the place where the people are following the Bible, they're teaching the Bible, they're loving people, they're serving people, people are being saved, people are being baptized, people are being discipled. That's always going to be the case. Why? Because Christ will always make sure there's a remnant. Even if there are a lot of churches where things aren't going right, there will always be a remnant. Make sure that you're in one of those churches, but don't use it as an excuse to not go to church. No matter what, you're never going to find the perfect church. Churches are not perfect. And that's a good thing because neither are you. I know most of you. Okay? But a good church is a place of peace and comfort and real relationship. And you should be looking for that. Now, if you have been hurt in the past, and some of you have been really badly hurt. I don't want to talk about some of the things that some churches have done. 
to people or people in churches have done to people. Forgive those who hurt you. Forgive those who hurt you and seek out a new local church body to join. Don't let it be something that keeps you out of Christ's church. God calls us to forgive and to love our enemies. And he wouldn't have to call us to do it if it was easy and we did it automatically. He calls us to do it because it's really hard. And we have to trust his faithfulness that we just sang about in order to do it. This is what he says, Matthew 6, 14 through 15. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Matthew 5, 43 through 45, the first part of 45. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your father in heaven. I know it's difficult. For some people, it's like, how can you even say that to me? You don't know what happened to me. You're right. I don't know what happened to you. If you're watching online, if you're here in this room, I don't know what happened to you. Here's what I do know. God is faithful. Here's what I do know. He's called us to forgive. It's necessary to forgive. Some of you have been hurt horribly by people, whether it's in the church or outside the church, but forgiveness is necessary. Remember, forgiveness is not saying that what happened is good or acceptable or like you're all good with it it's not that. It's not that at all. If that was the case, forgiveness wouldn't be needed if it was all good. It's not all good. That's the whole point of grace. That's the whole point. But where would any of us be without the forgiveness that we received from God, our Lord, through the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection? Where would we be? We'd be nowhere. This is so important, not just for this church thing, but in general, I think forgiveness is one of those things that's so hard. It's so hard. I think because sometimes we act like forgiveness means we're just saying it's all good. It's not all good. The whole point is it's not all good. The point is that we're forgiving. The point is that there's grace. The point is that we've received grace and so we give grace. I want you to listen to this story, this parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 18. Let's read it, starting at verse 21. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? which is a lot if you have a brother. Uh, that's a lot of times. Um, this is obviously talking about brothers and sisters and Christ and so on. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. For you math majors out there, that's 490, but that's not the point. The point, because if you're counting, okay, I'm at 489, so <laughs> it's not the point. Forever, forever. 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. If you're, I've done the math on that before. It's just like billions of dollars. It's, it's more than you could ever repay, okay? Beyond repayment, no person is going to be able to repay 10,000 talents, okay? But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. That's what Jesus has done for us. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Denarii is a day's wages. So a hundred, that's about a third of a year. You know, let's call that. You guys make what, like a million a year? So... 300,000. Uh, no, that's, you know, 10, 15, 20,000, something like that. Um, oh, so it's real money. It's real money. Uh, but he owed him, he owed him 100 denarii. 
And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Same thing he had just done. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly father will also do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. This is significant. And I have to go to this. I actually have to go to this pretty often because people are the worst, right? Like, but I have to go to it and I have to say to myself, I do not want to be that wicked. I know what Christ has forgiven in me. I was such a disaster, such a disaster. I was a wicked man and the Lord saved me and he forgave me and he paid for my sin. I cannot then when people harm me, and it might be a hundred denarii is a lot of money. It might be a significant harm that they've done to me. It cannot compare. It cannot compare to the fact that I have eternal life in Christ Jesus by his death and resurrection. Cannot compare. And so for those of you who are struggling with this, I understand the struggle, but God's called us. We have been forgiven everything, everything we have ever done. And he continues to forgive us when we sin. We still mess up after all that. First John 1, 8 through 10. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. What's it saying? You're a sinner and he'll forgive you. Extremely important to know, especially when people have sinned against you. And I've seen some sins against people, especially in the practice of law. As I've told you before, I've seen things I wouldn't tell you about because I wouldn't want them in your mind. People can do some pretty dark things. And yet forgiveness is our way of showing that grace that God has shown us. Doesn't mean you still hang out with the person, for sure. But you got to let it go. You got to let it go. And if it's keeping you from church, you need to let it go. And then you need to find a good church because there are good churches. There are good churches. You need to understand that God can deal with those who have harmed you. I'm not saying that in forgiveness, there's no justice. There is justice. God will bring, for those who think that the New Testament is about Jesus always just doing, just forgiving everything all the time and that they don't have to, people don't have to accept him or anything, just all, it's all forgiven. That's not true. For those who refuse his offer of salvation, there is justice and God will avenge his children. And if you're a Christ follower, you're his child. Listen to this, Hebrews 10, 30-31. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Those who have harmed you, if they don't repent, if they don't turn to Jesus Christ and receive his forgiveness, it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Trust God. Trust God to take care of that. God will avenge his children. You need to forgive and move on and find a good church. You will never find the perfect church. But God has called you to join a local expression of the body of Christ. This is so fundamental. 
This is so fundamental. We actually have uh, a church planner who's, who's come up from Los Angeles today um, and is planning to plant a church locally. And that makes me excited because I actually think we need more and more and more churches, especially church plants, which tend to be exciting and tend to have a lot of unbelievers come to them because we need more and more people to get saved. We don't need less churches. We need more churches. We need more people in church. We need less people saying, you can do it on your own. The church is, it's the life of the Christ follower. It's the body of Christ. Don't let these things, laziness or letdown, keep you from being in church. The last L is liberalism. Now, I went to Wikipedia, the finest resource on the internet. And this is what it said about liberalism. A political and moral philosophy based on the rights of the individual, liberty, consent of the governed, and equality before the law. And those are, those are good things. I, as, a, as somebody who is a Western person, I, for government, for state, local, federal government, I'm all about liberalism, which is as much freedom as possible, right? I want the government to have only so much power as it absolutely has to have in order to do the work it's supposed to do. That's it. That's what I want. And I think generally, as Americans, no matter where you are now, that would be true. Some people just think the government has more work to do than others do. We're not going to get into that discussion as much as some of you would like to. As a Christ follower, Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my King. He has set up his church, and I am subject to him and to those who he has put in spiritual authority over me. The church is not America. The church is not the local, state, federal government. None of that. The church isn't like that. Our culture has a real problem mixing jurisdictions. Mixing jurisdictions. Jurisdiction just, is just a Latin word that means the authority to speak the law. Okay? To speak the law. The state, let's call it the state, government, has a certain amount of authority to speak the law. It's very different than, say, you at home and your ability to speak the law, say, to your children. Some of you need to do that more. Um, just a thing, you know, I, I don't know how many of the numbers have come up, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, anyway, very different than the church. All these jurisdictions are different. And we, because we like classical liberalism, which is the idea of freedom and autonomy and consent of the government, whatever, we try to take those ideas and bring them into the church. That's not the church. We serve a king. This is a monarchy, folks. This ain't a democracy. Jesus is king. And to the extent that the elders follow Jesus, they're following the king. And you should, as Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And to the extent that each one of you is here, you're serving the king. This isn't about your rights. Okay? This isn't about having freedoms and being able to have it go your way. That's not what the church is. We don't like that. We don't like that. I don't care. Honestly, I don't. I mean, I care because I feel bad for you. But at the end of the day, we got to do what the scripture says. You have to be part of a church and you don't get to say how it goes. That's just the way it is. We're not a democracy. We don't have business meetings every two weeks here. You ever been in a church like that? Whew. It's rough. When everybody gets to say how much we're going to spend on staples, that's a tough church to be in. That is not the church. I don't want to get on people's ecclesiology or their theology of the church who have congregationally run and lots of business meetings or whatever, other than to say they're completely wrong. Um, so no, I, I would never, unless the Lord made me, I would never be in a church like that. I've seen the downside of that. But the point is this, the church is not set up to be the government. You don't get a vote for everything that happens. We follow Jesus. We follow the scripture. Whatever the scripture says, that's what we're doing. And some people don't like that. 
It's hard. It's hard to submit to one another in love. That's hard to do. For those who have been hurt, it's really hard to do. And I understand that. For, but for everyone, it's hard to do. We don't like being told what to do. You, some of you probably don't like the fact that I'm telling you that the Bible says you need to be in church and you need to be joined to the church and you need to be a part of the church. I got more for you. You need to be giving. You need to be serving. You need to be in a life group. I'm exhorting you. This is what it's about. This is what it's about. We all want to set our own rules until you get to this point. And here's the point you get to. When you realize that the rules that Christ has set up are so good and good for you, it becomes easier and easier to trust him because of his great faithfulness and submit to him. And in submitting to him, you're going to submit to all kinds of people because each one of you has a responsibility to hold each other accountable. Another thing we don't like in liberalism. In liberalism, we don't want people to be able to hold us accountable. Nobody's in charge of me. I do what I want. That's not how it works in the church. We have accountability. It's difficult. It's difficult. The church is not the state. People who avoid joining and attending church because they think they can do it themselves are wrong. People who think that the church is too powerful or too trying, trying to exert too much authority, I'm not really sure where that's coming from. Now, it's just my experience, but I don't know any of our elders who are calling people and telling them what to do. Okay? But if you want to go and live a lifestyle that is going to harm you, you're probably going to hear from us. You know? And it's a good thing that you will because that's what love looks like. That's what love looks like. You can't do it yourself. Scripture's clear. Christ's followers are part of the church. They assemble regularly to build one another up. Read the New Testament. If you're, if you're struggling with this, you don't buy it. Here's the thing. I actually had a list of verses so long, and I was like, they don't want a three-hour sermon, so I compacted it. Just read the New Testament. From Matthew to Revelation, read it and see if you can find any context where it's okay to do church on your own or just with your family. You won't find it. The entire context of the Christian life revolves around our place, our, our, our relationship with the Lord personally, and our relationship as the church. That's it. We are in the last days of a perverse generation, and I need you, and you need me. We need each other. None of us can do this on our own. None of us. I, I'm, I'm truly dismayed. I, I'm not surprised by these survey results, but I truly am dismayed that we have gotten so far away, whether it's laziness, letdown, or liberalism, or some other L, or some other letter, that's keeping people from believing that they need to be part of the church. We have seen decline in many denominations. There are around 500,000 people in Clark County, and I'm just guessing that they're not all in church today. But they should be, because what are we called to do? Make disciples, right? I know many of you already know this and you are faithfully attending church and you understand this and you would have answered these questions right and praise God for you and you don't know how much I appreciate you and how much I love walking with you in the Lord. For those of you who aren't there, let's get there. Let's do what's right. Let's do what the scripture says. For those of you who aren't Christ followers, you're just here, you're visiting, whatever. We want you to feel welcome. We want you to feel welcome, but at the end of the day, we want you to follow Christ because it's life from death. It's out of darkness into his marvelous light. I invite you to be saved from this perverse generation. 
And the only way you can be saved is through Jesus Christ. He says he is the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Please don't believe that you can have your own view or your own version of religion. That's nonsense. There is only one way to be saved, and that is by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection, defeating sin and death and Satan and hell and all that nonsense. And now as the church, we march against the gates of hell. See, gates don't march. We march against them to set prisoners free. That's what we do. And if you're a prisoner, which you are if you're unsaved, you're in darkness, it's very, very simple. It's not easy. Let me just tell you, it's not easy. It's, it's your whole life. But it's very simple, Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's it. That's it. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. If you don't believe that, go watch our skeptic series on the resurrection. You will see that the historical evidence is, is it's there. It happened. This happened. That's why we're still here. If it had not happened, we would not still be here. Our entire faith is based on a historical fact, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead implying that he also died for your sins. You can be part of something that will define your life for eternity, that will give you life for eternity. You are loved by God. Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose from the dead. He has defeated death and he is coming back. And if you're not a Christ follower, it's time. Stop running. Stop trying to figure it out on your own. It's time. He's paid the price and you can be his if you only follow him. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That can be you, but you got to believe in him. It doesn't say whoever. It says whoever believes in him. That's for you today. And when that happens, people who get saved, they love the church. You know who's on this thing not answering that you need to be in church? People have been saved too long and have gotten over it, right? They, for whatever reason, they've become lazy or let down or liberal. One of those things has happened and they've started to think, no, it's not important. But when you see somebody get saved and you see their life change, they want to be at church. They love the church. They're going to want to work with the church for the Great Commission, which is on the wall outside. And this is what it says, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, this is what he says to his disciples. This is for us. This is for all of us. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He's got all the jurisdiction, okay? Go, therefore. He's saying, I've got the jurisdiction. I'm giving you. I am putting my stamp on you to go and do something. Literally, God in the flesh has told us to do something. What? And make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. That is who we are. That is what we do. And we do not do it alone. Let's pray.